ever since you can remember, you felt something in your chest telling you to move, to love, to speak, to try. Day after day, you pretend you don't hear it calling, or maybe you dismiss it as silliness or worse. But it's there, ready for you, and it will wait for you as long as you need. My name is Johnny G, and I invite you to join me on a journey of awakening as we dare to embrace our light. This is Refractive. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Refractive. I'm Johnny G. Today, I am delighted to introduce you to R. Eric Thomas. He is a national best-selling author. He's a playwright, a screenwriter, and way back in another life, 12 years ago, he and I used to run in the same circles. So it's wonderful to connect with him here for the podcast. His debut memoir, Here For It, or How to Save Your Soul in America, was a huge hit. Lin-Manuel Miranda called it a pop culture obsessed David Sedaris level laugh out loud funny book. And uh, it was published in 2020. It was featured on Today as an August read with Jenna Club pick. And it was also selected by NPR on its list of best books of 2020. For four years, he wrote Eric Reads the News, which is a daily humor column covering pop culture and politics on L.com. And it's through that that he garnered millions of followers. He's currently writing on the Peabody award-winning series Dickinson on Apple TV Plus and also Better Things on FX. I'm excited for you to get to know him as well. And uh, we're going to talk today about the power of laughter and humor and uh, what an essential part of human experience laughter and humor is. So I really hope this episode resonates with you. I'm looking forward to it and let's go. Eric, how are you today? Oh, I'm so good. I'm so glad to be here with you, Johnny. I am delighted. I can't believe it's been 12 years since I've seen you in person. And I know. Well, that's just... the thing about social media. It feels like you're we're hanging out in each other's lives every day, even though yes. we don't talk. So this is great. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here. And uh, this topic was something that just felt so natural for our conversation because of your journey. When I discovered that you had written this book here for it and that it was being so widely read and so well received, um, I do audiobooks. That's kind of how I absorb most of my books mm -hmm. nowadays. And so I use one of those audible credits and I was like, download. <laughs> and when I am, I, I was driving um, on a road trip while I was listening to your book and just guffawing. And so <laughs> as you and I talked about doing a podcast episode together, I was like, it's got to be around laughter and humor because Eric is someone who has harnessed the power of laughter to really um, shape the path that he's on. Mm -hmm. And part of the service that you give to the world is helping them find their own laughter. So um, this really feels like a natural uh, topic for us. Okay, I'm I'm excited. I love talking about laughter. It's you know, there's the adage, there's nothing less funny than talking about what's funny. But I think <laughs> I, I I think there's there are lessons in harnessing humor for all of us. I think it's really essential to sort of being alive and tapping into the joy of being alive. Yeah. 
And so you mentioned during our kind of initial planning that um, you found that laughter has a strong healing property. And yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, you know, I, in putting together a memoir, you know, you go through everything that's happened in your life. And of course, like the structure of a story is usually there was conflict. I got, there was an obstruction in my path. I wanted something, I didn't get it. I didn't, uh, or I tried to get it. And, and then eventually you get it or you don't get it. It's a comedy or a tragedy, you know, in a formal sense. And one of the challenges that I set for myself was I want to tell the stories of places in my life where um, things were hard, but I want to find the funny in it. I want to figure out what the locus of the humor is. Um, there's a, another adage, you know, uh, comedy equals tragedy plus time, which I think is true. You know, not everything becomes funny eventually, but everything becomes, takes on a new context. And I think humor and laughter really give us a new sense of context about our surroundings and about our world. And it also helps us to identify, well, who the butt of the joke is or what the butt of the joke is. And there's so many times where we feel that uh, we are the butt of the joke, um, whether it's uh, like the joke is a joke uh, put on by society or whether it's a joke that's put on, you know, by uh, an individual in our lives. And just reframing that and saying, I am able to laugh along with myself and laugh at the, the path that I've been on. It really helps to change the perspective, I think, on everything that I've experienced. Mm -hmm. And I, I continue to think through, think of that, that, you know, even as I go through hard times in the present, I, I say to myself, eventually I'm going to write another book about this. And hopefully that book will be funny. We'll see, you know, cut to 10 years from now. It's like, well, he never wrote another funny book again, but <laughs> yeah. You know, um, you, I guess, caught the eye um, of the world with Eric Reads the News. Mm -hmm. And so just the point that you are making right now, it's about finding funny mm -hmm. in just the ridiculous, mundane things that we have to deal with every day. And I wonder if looking at news stories and trying to find the humor in it had an impact on your growth and how you serve the world. I think so. You know, there it is so easy for the news to feel overwhelming and um, to really give into this desire to say, like, you know what, I'm I'm out on on this news cycle. I'm out on the present. I, if something happens, somebody will let me know. And my job required that I look into the the flame that is the news, um, and you start to see the performative nature of so much of what is going on. Um, and so looking at politics as performance um, and as narrative, I think is really, really helpful. Um, going through the pandemic and being stuck in the house and figuring out what is what is funny about this situation that we're in. And, you know, also saying, you know, well, sometimes this, this situation isn't funny, but there are little nuggets in it that I can find um, that are funny. Um, just really remind it's for me, it really is a mindfulness exercise. It really is sort of saying, I'm going to uh, acknowledge everything that is happening um, as sort of a, a, on an equal playing field. I'm going to acknowledge what's happening inside of myself. Uh, I'm going to note it and then I'm going to pick and choose um, from it what I can use in a humorous way. And that has really helped me, even though I don't write the column anymore. It's really helped me in my news diet, in my in my 
social media diet. It, it's helped me to sort of take everything and say like, not everything is, is attacking me right now. Yeah. This is information yeah. and right. I can, I can let it go if I need to. Yeah. You know, we look at the, <clears throat> the presumed conflict between, you know, um, you know, the leaders of the Republican Congress and the leaders of the Democratic Congress. And we like, it's like we pretend that they're not working together to make all this stuff up, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like the idea of Nancy Pelosi sitting behind President Trump and doing that clap, mm -hmm, you know, that she mm -hmm. did. Like that wasn't finally orchestrated and brainstormed around a table in advance. Yeah. Or, you know, when Mitch McConnell uh, flip flops and like he's not making a phone call in advance to the other side and saying, look, I'm about to flip on this and just be ready because right. it's pageantry. It's yeah. pageantry, you know? And and I think that your point is exactly right on that. Like, let's let's treat this with a little bit of levity because although it affects people's lives, mm -hmm. like the people who are showing up in the news, it's just another day at the office for them. Right, exactly. And, you know, and, and I think that can be very disheartening. And I think there are some politicians, you know, maybe some newer ones or maybe some, some veteran politicians who understand um, and have a deep desire to do the sort of granular groundwork that is governance. But my suspicion is, particularly in this uh, media saturated age, particularly in this like post post television age, that we like the generational politicians that we have are used to performance um, and pageantry. And, and yeah. so if you look at if you look at the you know activities of the Congress in the same way as you look at the Oscars or a drag show, <laughs> um, it, 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 I think it right sizes them. It's like these people put on their costumes, they yeah. get in front of cameras, they yeah. say the thing that you want to hear. And you think about campaign promises. Right. What is a campaign promise? Like <laughs> this is it's lip syncing for your life, and yes. then you're like. <laughs> Great. You know, you you death dropped on the $15 minimum wage, you get my vote. Oh, but God. the the way that, a, you know, we all watched um, Schoolhouse Rock, we understand that like the way that a bill becomes a law is not by going on TV and and selling it, you know, and, and, and you know, razzle dazzling. It's it's boring and it's granular and it's legalese. And so those two things become separated in yeah. my mind. And I'm like, I see the things that are being performed for me. And as a viewer and as a participant, as an American, as a citizen, I'm able to say like, I, I can see the pageant as a pageant and I can see the injustice and the work of governance for what that is and see them as two separate things. Yeah, yeah. So in a broader sense than just politics, um, Talk to me about how you've learned to find funny in the unfunny and what that, I mean, what that even means, because it can be treacherous land to walk mm -hmm. across. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the stories that I've told about my life, a lot of the things that I, you know, I write in a weekly newsletter where I sort of write about what happened in my week or what's happening in politics. And like a lot of times it starts with this thing is frustrating to me. This is something where I didn't get what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I have learned to not hold everything up to the light uh, uh, with the question of whether it's funny or not, but I have learned to say, is this, um, is this something that um, I can see levity in? I'll give you a, a small example. 
there's an essay in my book about um, a time that I went viral in 2002 for writing an article in the, my college newspaper where I was mistaken for a white supremacist. Very common, very common thing. But for <laughs> listeners who don't know, I am a black person um, and I was writing what I thought was a satire and everyone else thought was a serious um, critique of black history. And so it didn't go over well and I got thousands of emails. And even as it was going on, even as there was a campus meeting being held about me, um, a, a person that nobody knew um, and everyone thought was a white supremacist. I can't believe you were hiding in the back of the room. That, yeah, it, that was amazing. They're like, we got to find this R. Eric Thomas. Yeah, they're like <laughs> pitchforks and, you know, and, and torches. And I'm like, oh, I don't know where he went that way. Um, even as I was in it, it was a miserable, miserable moment in my life. Um, even as I was in it, I was like, this has the hallmarks of farce. Um, I'm literally hanging in the back of my, in the back of this, this auditorium, pretending not to be myself. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, maybe five, six years later, I got up at a storytelling show and I tried to tell the, actually, well, the first thing that happened was the newspaper staff, we all had like a meeting after we all had blown over. And we tried to do a drinking game based on the the hate mail I received mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. uh, every time somebody said, except in turn where we all to drink. And well, that went over it's like mean tweets. It's like the yeah. predecessor to reading mean tweets. Exactly. And uh, that went over like a lead balloon. It was terrible. It was awful to sort of read those words, to hear those words. It was too soon. And I didn't have the right focus. I was I was I, I was still the butt of the joke. Years later, I tried to tell the story at a storytelling show. And it kind of fell apart on stage because I was I I was not I was still in it and I was still hurt and it it wasn't until years later as I was uh, prepping to write the book that I realized that like I had a lot of complicity in that um, in, in my own sort of uh, the bad things that happened to me in that situation and I had to sort of acknowledge I was in pain and I tried to write satire and. In, and I failed. And so acknowledging I failed at this, I put all these other people in a bad situation and they reacted. And the minute I did that, the minute, the minute I acknowledged what I had done wrong, it freed me to write around the rest of the humor. And it became funny to me because it wasn't that I was using humor to mask places where I failed. It was, right. I was like, I made a mistake. I'm not the butt of this joke. The situation is farce, but in the heart of the farce is a person who I have forgiven and, yeah. and, f but I have acknowledged that I did something wrong and that's what started this whole thing. Yeah. And there's the healing that we yeah. were talking about, yeah. you know, um, uh, this certainly isn't very funny, but the idea, one, one of the principles that I very much believe and have ad adhered to over these past couple of years, as I've gone through a spiritual path is that ego can't survive in the light. And that the minute you turn the light on your ego and you look at it, it begins to fade away because mm -hmm. you start to see it for what it is. And it's not an immediate thing always. It could be, um, but it's a gradual thing that it begins to lose its power. And so I love that through looking for the humorous side, you saw the, to the totality of what mm -hmm. had happened. And that allowed you to kind of let go of... I don't know, your egoic grasp of like, this wasn't fair. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the thing. I had gone years, it had been probably a decade, um, uh, maybe more, and always thinking, I 
I was wronged by all these people yeah. and, um, and I did nothing wrong. And, and let's talk about how funny that is. And it just didn't work. It didn't work as a comedic premise. The minute I said, I did something wrong. I, I have a part to play in this mm -hmm. and, um, I forgive myself for making the mistake that got me into this situation. It freed me up to, to see it all in, uh, to right size it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. You know, I remember after nine 11 happened, um, all the comedy shows went dark. Well, not all of them. Right. Uh, but all, most of the prominent comedy shows went dark and some of them for several weeks. Mm -hmm. I remember, uh, because I was a fan of David Letterman. I, uh, when I was in high school, I used to watch it with my mom and, uh, every night. And, um, I was in college when nine 11 happened. And mm -hmm. I remember like, wow, David Letterman is not on for like weeks. And, mm -hmm. um, and then decisions were made in our culture that it's now appropriate to come back and force with comedy as a sign of resilience and strength and our determination not to let this um, disrupt our, our way of life. And th the point of this story is that not long after that, Gilbert Gottfried mm -hmm. was roasting Hugh Hefner. Yeah. You know, they had the Friars Club roasts. Yeah. And uh, he made a joke about 9-11, um, okay? Mm -hmm. And the crowd went through this awkward silence. Mm -hmm. I remember this. someone yelled, too soon! Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and this was, I learned, the first time that too soon entered pop culture oh, as really? commentary of like uh because it was so widely broadcast and it just caught mm -hmm. fire and now it's almost like a joke right like right, when someone right. makes an inappropriate joke it's like too soon right um, but you know it goes to show that there is a healing that needs to happen there mm -hmm. is an appropriate boundary right not everything can be funny to everybody uh in the midst of pain but it's by looking through that like you illustrated and finding the healing in it uh, that we can then take joy in the randomness of life. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so fascinating. I did not know that about too soon entering the vernacular at that moment. I, I, you know, I'd love to hear what the person who yelled it was thinking, because it's, it's really, it's very wise. It's this idea that's like, it, it, the person wasn't saying, don't ever say that, you right. know, the person was saying, we're not there yet. And, yeah. and, and that acknowledges that we're all on this continuum and that humor has a place in the continuum, but it's not right now. And right. that's really, I'll give you, it's like reading the room, you know, which is every comedian needs to do. I've, I've like nine 11 comedy is, which is a strange sentence or strange phrase, Yeah, but I find it very fascinating because so many comedians really do try and push the envelope and move our culture forward. Um, and, and shake an audience and say, we, we can talk about this. And I think there's ways of doing, I think there's ways of doing it well, but I think there's a lot of ways of, of doing it irresponsibly and, um, and responsibility when you're, when you're yeah. trying to make people laugh is, is a huge thing. I think that's, that's sort of my primary sort of motivation is, is this responsible? Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break for just a few seconds and uh, everybody will be back in just 45 seconds. Thanks a lot. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy that you're listening to Refractive Podcast. I hope you're resonating with today's episode. 
I'm speaking now, especially to those of you who are leaders in your organizations. If I can ever be of service for your team, I hope you'll reach out to me. I live my best life by helping others do the same. My services include facilitating leadership meetings, offering workshops, emceeing employee events, and of course, coaching. I work with individuals and with small groups to help your high performers release limiting beliefs and step into their full power. I'm based in DC, I'm happy to travel, and I can also support you virtually through Zoom. For more information, please visit refractivecoaching.com. And now let's go back to the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm here with our Eric Thomas, and we are talking about the role of laughter and how it helps us to heal and move on, move on and find joy and even thrive. And so, Eric, we were talking earlier uh, before the break about some of the sensitivities around certain types of humor. And I know that we were referring to what the limits of humor are. So what else do you have to uh, share with us on that? Yeah, I think humor is, I, I think it's important to think of humor as a communal experience. Um, and so you want to make somebody else laugh, even if it's, if, if it's a conversation on a date or whether it's a family dinner or whether it's an auditorium with a thousand people in it. And so you obviously can't be inside of somebody else's head and know what they think is funny. But I do think that there is a responsibility to be um, cognizant that you are there is a consent involved in it. Um, and so humor can't act um, as sort of a catch-all for for everything that you're trying to do. It has to be a, an, a, a give and take. Mm -hmm. I also think that humor, you know, a lot of times, and we're talking a little bit about this with 9-11, uh, so many times we use a joke to, to shove the conversation into a new space. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, and sometimes, you know, and depending on the, the consent in the in the group, sometimes that'll work. Somebody breaks the, the tension or the grief at a funeral with a joke about yeah. the deceased in the right space. That is exactly what everybody needs. Yeah. But you've got to know your audience, know your audience um, and um, and also know that, like, it doesn't take the place of of true healing. It doesn't take the place, uh, it can be a signpost of healing, it can be a, a, a path along, uh, uh, it can be a step along the path of healing, but it isn't healing itself. And it isn't, you know, when you think about political humor, it also isn't policy. Um, it is not, humor is not itself social change. Um, yes. It can be a harbinger of social change, but it is not, it is not a substitute for action. Yeah. And I mean, that's completely evidenced by the White House Correspondence Dinner, right? Mm -hmm. Where like the whole nation comes together and pokes fun at all kinds of politics, but it doesn't change things. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that itself is a pageant, you know? Yes. <laughs> I mean, you've sure. got journalists and politicians all sitting around yucking it up and you're like, mm -hmm. I feel like maybe this is all an act. Mm -hmm. hmm. There you go. You know, I, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about Married with Children. So, mm -hmm. you know, the old sitcom and how so much of the humor from Married with Children was about Al Bundy being this caveman who mm -hmm. was like not accepting of uh, progress. And a lot of the jokes were about his lesbian neighbor. And a lot of the mm -hmm. jokes were about his wife's role in life. And, um, and, you know, 
I remember sitting down and watching that show with my brothers and like my mom not approving of us mm-hmm. watching that show. <laughs> um, but it it did kind of it did kind of desensitize the topic of people who are resistant to social change, mm-hmm. even though it was Al Bundy making so many jokes about like uh, his perception of like liberals and whatever how do I say this? Everybody kind of shared in the pageantry of the humor and it really did bring to the forefront um, an opportunity to uh, see this societal issue a little more clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think television is so has such an interesting role in this because so often we do have contrarian characters. Al Bundy, um, uh, Archie Bunker Archie is Bunker, probably the most yeah. famous. Yeah. And you know, there are ways, but you know, there are ways that that contrarian character is elevated and there are ways that, that contrarian character is satirized. And so like, it is, it is always introducing a conversation. And again, like television isn't social change, but it does, for better or for worse, Married with Children did put a lesbian character on television. Yeah, um, and that's right. that is, that's, that is, I think, a, a step on a continuum, you know, to yeah. say like, you know, we're, we're probably about the same age. Like, I don't recall seeing um, gay, lesbian, and transgender characters on television when I was um, when I was a kid. Um, oh. uh, besides, like, very few instances, and I didn't, I wasn't allowed to watch Married with Children, but I was aware that there was a lesbian on that on Married with Children, and it, for much of my childhood and even teenage years. Um, gayness, queerness didn't have a name, um, yeah. and and it wasn't, it didn't exist. And so, the minute you put language to it, um, you you move it along, you move it further into yes. um, into the light. And that is, I think that's very interesting, you know. And I think the legacy of some of these shows, Archie, you know, Archie Bunker still holds up. But then you look at you look at some old episodes of All in the Family, and you're like. Oh, I don't know that I would listen to, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to put this in my brain, but on the other side, it's like, that's the way that people were talking back then. That's right. It was a reflection of the society, but there was a kernel there that says, I am reflecting the conflict that I see in society in a bit of a funhouse mirror. Um, and I've done the processing to figure out what our solution might be. I think Mary with children and all in the family and the Jeffersons all offer solutions for society if society is interested in taking them right because you know and we'll move on from married with children but like uh (laughs) you know the thing is that although al bundy seems to be the hero Mm -hmm. he is the protagonist of married with children those show writers those show writers who crafted al bundy in his crude uh every man hero status also made the decision to put a lesbian on TV. Right. And so it goes to show, that's what I was trying to say earlier that I didn't I didn't articulate very well, that even though uh, my brothers watched it for the macho humor, mm-hmm. there was a bigger story being told that was one layer beneath mm-hmm. that helped society to become less sensitive and more open to considering uh, new topics. 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I like I write a little bit for television now, and it's been very fascinating to me to see, you know, one, television is such a huge collaborative process between from writers to executives, uh, you know, obviously the people you see on screen. And every step of the way, it can go one way or another, it can go wrong. And, you know, so the, like a kernel of good intention can turn into mockery or a kernel of mockery can turn into something that is um, pushes a culture forward. Um, and so it's, it's exciting. And it's also like dangerous. And you think everything that we receive from the news to sitcoms to dramas is movies uh, is narrative and narrative teaches us what our values are. That's right. Um, and so I don't think it's, I don't, I think it's really important to, to seriously consider what we are watching and, and, and to ask the questions like we're asking, like, what, what, what does this character do for us and how can we help that character achieve the end in a, like in terms of society that we're looking forward to achieve it is something that i think is never finished you know like and i think that we will always look back and say like oh we could we had a great opportunity for this character we like will and grace could have been this could have been more of that i think those things are true but i also think that there is a it comes down to community communal consent and if the community is saying we are not going to watch something that doesn't that we don't that doesn't fit into our narrative you know what effect can can the narrative have right. nobody's watching it right so you know there's a there's a strange give and take yeah so you know one of the most amazing uh uh an extraordinary experience in, in life is when mm -hmm. you lose yourself in laughter with another person yeah you know, yeah. and we've all been there when we're with a friend and something catches us off guard as hilarious and you just can't stop laughing. And and one person laughing causes the other to laugh and it's just this cycle. And I wonder, especially with your experience of standing on a stage with the goal of making people belly laugh, mm -hmm. um, how has that role of the physicality of laughter worked into the calculus that you apply to what you do every day? Oh, that's a great question. There were times where, um, well, like I, you know, I host the Moth Storytelling um, Show live, and we'll be in a theater of four hundred people, and there are times where laughter moves like energy across the room, and you yeah. become. It feels like I, I feel like Tom Cruise and Minority Report, you know, where I'm like <laughs> moving things around on the screen. Like yeah, like the little dials and switching things, and it's. You, it is, it is, it is honestly like to mix a metaphor. It's like surfing, where you sort of can sense, you sense the people who are 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 really tapped in, and you can like see it in their bodies. You can like see that energy like jump off of them and onto the person next to them, and especially when it's in the dark and you you sense there is laughter, there is enjoyment coming from someplace that you can't see. That is so phenomenal to me and it reminds me that we like that it's laughter is contagious that there is uh also a sort of uh and uh i believe the term is anaerobic uh quality to it that it is like compressing your diaphragm and pushing air out and taking air in and so we are sharing the same air we are uh like metaphorically and also physically and that is so deeply important to me 
I don't know when I'm on stage or when I'm writing at my laptop, I have no idea who is going to be uh, receiving the jokes that I'm putting out. But what I do know is that we all have bodies that function in very similar ways. And um, and so what I'm always trying to do is like to capture the, the mind, but also to like prod the body into, into yeah. movement. And that is a really exciting potential for me. Mm -hmm. You talked about how laughter moves like an energy, almost like a, a stone that you drop in a pond and the ripples mm -hmm. of it just kind of flow out. And, you know, I'm a speaker and, um, and a facilitator. And so when I'm in front of a group, I know exactly what you mean. And it's not the laughter that I go for. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's the sparkle behind the eyes. Mm. And there is, and, and I'm, you know, as a speaker that there, there is, there are few things as extraordinary as speaking and watching someone turn on, yeah, watching yeah. someone connect mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and the people around them don't know that the person has connected, but you see it ripple out because we put out this energy, yeah. right? We put out this enthusiasm that people feel without even realizing it. And it, that's the most amazing thing. And uh, you watch the spark just catch from person to person to person to person. Mm -hmm. And uh, with laughter, it's the same way. And it's, it's just a beautiful phenomenon. I love that you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite things is I work extemporaneously a lot. I don't write, you know, when I'm live, I don't write a lot of my material. And so I'm not a stand-up comedian. And so like as a stand-up comedian, that would be a dangerous thing. But as somebody who's hosting shows in a humorous way, it's fine. Um, it's fine for me. I, I don't know. I'm not giving anybody advice. But one of the things that's exciting to me is knowing when I'm approaching a, a punchline um, in something that I'm going to say. And there is like that, that anticipatory silence where we all sort of are plugged in and there might be, there might be people who are like, Oh, I bet you something funny is coming. Or there might be people who are like, I'm just listening to this story. Yeah. And then I drop it in and it is, it is he, like hearing the burst of laughter coming from <laughs> nothing is oh my God. it is the most powerful experience that I, I I've ever had. And I, I chase it because what it says is that in that instant, we have all changed. We have all gone from this neutral or this anticipatory state to this active energetic state. And, and I think that every time you laugh, it changes you. Um, mm -hmm. And that is, that is so deeply important. It's so deep. It's so core to who I am as a person. Um, mm -hmm. I'm always seeking to be changed by laughter. I, mm -hmm. I like, and it, it, it feels, it, it, it honestly feels like, a, like atomic, like it's like just something that like was, was not there. And then suddenly was like the big bang and it can happen over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I need to break topic for a second because I have not been able to stop thinking about your Sylvia Plath wallpaper. Oh. Uh, it's killing <laughs> Sylvia me. Plath. It's I killing love it. me. It is amazing. I wish the people, so if you're watching this on YouTube, you know what I'm saying, but if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see, but uh, go on YouTube. I just, it's <laughs> stunning. It's stunning. I want to buy that wallpaper. So uh, anyway. Well, it's from Ellie Cashman. Um, and I apologize to YouTube viewers. I, I don't, I think I forgot that we were going to be uh, on YouTube as well. I'd, I'd look better now if, uh, if <laughs> I turn on a light. Um, anyway, but, <laughs> so apologies to everybody. Um, but uh, yeah, it's from Ellie Cashman. She's a uh, designer in the Netherlands. And when I, we moved into this house in the middle of the pandemic, 
we decided that um, uh, since no one would see anything but the square around us, it might as well be uh, like, you know, Rococo, Baroque yes. and ridiculous. It's amazing. So anyway, <laughs> okay. I just needed to, I, I just couldn't hold it anymore. I was about to burst. So, um, so I want to talk about, you know, people who listen to this podcast know that spirituality is my jam. It's uh, how I try to connect with my audience, people who are kind of feeling this um, little spark of awakening happen and they kind of want to dig deeper into it. So I want to ask you, um, do you think laughter is spiritual? I think so. I mean, I think anything that changes, that shocks us out of our neutral state of sort of passive uh, experience of life is spiritual. Um, and I think, I think, like I said, that there, it is a step on a path um, toward healing. And that is very exciting. Um, and I think that taps into our spirit. Um, I, I also, you know, I think the, the more extreme emotions anger obviously but like sorrow grief laughter joy those have i i think they they function at a, a higher level um and so much of our lives i think for a lot of us are really just sort of locked into neutrality where you're sort of like going wrong you're doing your day you're annoyed blah 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 um and getting to jump out of the neutral um is I think stunning and, and I think yes. it, it can, I don't know. I think, I think a lot, actually, when I think about laughter, I think a lot about uh, the one time a year, every year that I do Bikram yoga, I always think that I'm a Bikram yoga person <laughs> and unfortunately I'm not. Um, but at the, you know, it's a very physically strenuous, it's like 95 degrees in the room, hundred percent humidity or whatever. I guess that's water, but I don't know. I don't know what humidity is. Um, but it's an hour and a half of strenuous exercise. And then at the end of it, you're like completely drained. You're soaking, you're soaking with sweat and you lie down and you sort of are just still in this position called Savasana. And you're supposed to just sort of like be there in the corpse pose. Um, and it is the most, every time I do it, uh, I think that I'm doing it wrong because it, it is, has the most energy um, inside of it that I like, I experienced the entire time yeah. because it is not neutral. It is a space where all of the feeling that I've built, like uh, that I've, that I've worked through in the class, everything that I've squeezed out of my muscles, everything that I've sort of been like pushing out of my brain space so I can just concentrate comes flooding back in and flooding and floating to the surface of myself. And I'm all that raw emotion. Yes. And it does that that is the feeling that I think laughter can provoke as well. Mm -hmm. This feeling of being your true yes. interior raw self in a really glorious way that has so much potential. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, I mean, oh my God, so many, so many thoughts and concepts came into my mind while you were talking and, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about laughter over the years and how laughter uh, typically relates to surprise, right? Like you mm -hmm. catch people off guard but I want to kind of cross-reference that with something that was so interesting that I learned. Um, I'm trying to think of which book I heard it in. Ah, I can't remember. But um, this book said that when you are in grief, mm -hmm. when you cry, when you're mourning, um, it is a form of meditation. It's a form of lower vibration meditation because mm. – 
meditation is losing yourself in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so by experiencing this utter grief, you are losing yourself in the moment mm. and uh, nothing else exists, but the now in that mm-hmm. moment. And so uh, as you were speaking, I was like, wow, laughter is meditation. Um, fear, like utter fear and terror is meditation because these are times when you get lost in the present, the mm-hmm. ever present now, and nothing else exists but what you're experiencing in that moment. And I love it. You actually mentioned in the beginning of the podcast that um, laughter has something to do with being in the present. And uh, I love the idea of laughing as a form of meditation, um, which is the absolute fastest, most direct way to spiritual growth. I love that. That is, that is, uh, that's, you put it so succinctly and that is, that totally matches with the, the experience that I have, the thing that I'm always chasing. And it's also nice, you know, for somebody like me who, you know, I have a lot of, I have a, I have a fair amount of energy. I come from a long line of anxious people and, um, <laughs> like, uh, and, um, and so it's sometimes hard to like sort of sit down with my meditation app or, you know, to sort of just quiet my mind. And so sometimes I'm like, well, let me just put on a comedy podcast. And mm-hmm. and that works in the same way. Like it really, it takes me someplace else. Like yes. laughing alone in my car, listening to somebody else uh, on the radio or on the podcast, it is it is. I love it. I love thinking about it as meditation because I do yes. come out of it in a different state. And that's phenomenal. That's right. And I mean, like for the listeners, uh, because so many of us, me too, even though I've been working at this, like meditation can be so difficult, but I got to tell you when La Isla Benita comes on, like that (laughs) is meditation because nothing exists, but me and Madge like Mm -hmm. dancing through that song. Oh, don't even get me started on like the, like the needle (laughs) drop on songs. I mean, you know, like I, I haven't been, I haven't been out of the house in a year, um, essentially, except for to like the grocery groups I pick up. But the minute I'm able to go back to a club yes. and I can hear Robin's dancing on my own, I'm uh, going to be in outer space. Yes. I'm going to be floating around Venus because that like that experience of just sort of tapping into and it's just raw emotion. It's remembering yes. the first time you ever heard it. It's remembering um you know whatever emotions it calls up but it's also being deeply present in them you know and moving your body and letting it be inside of your body i think laughter is the same thing i really do that's amazing it it is i wonder if we think about like going to the going to the movies as an escape but i wonder if it's not an escape Mm -hmm. i wonder if it's like a surrender to the present you know yes Oh, I love that. And here's the thing. Okay, let me I'll give me my, like my small soapbox. One <laughs> of the things that's frustrating about the movie industry right now, not to like put on my Hollywood hat, but like one of the things that's frustrating is that like, like just comedies, just straightforward comedies are not being greenlit as much. Like everything is sort of a tentpole and that's exciting. You go to see a, a Marvel movie and you do, you know, everybody's experiencing that tension, that excitement, and that's meditative as well, I, I yeah. suppose. And, but like, there is something that is just so juicy and exciting about sitting in a theater full of people all guffawing at, you know, bridesmaids or big business or, you know, something that is just like, I didn't say big business. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm pulling the throwbacks. Yes. It's and like to go in and say like I'm going to have my hands covered in popcorn sitting in this weird seat that I don't know what else has been in the seat <laughs> and I'm going to be in another meditative plane with these other people, these strangers. Yes. That's magic. That's why movies are magic. Yes. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. So um uh oh, thank you for that. As we wind down to the end of the podcast um i'd love to hear what you're working on and uh where life has brought you today yeah well i'm i'm writing for a couple of tv series um dickinson on apple tv plus and um um better things on fx those seasons will presumably you're writing on for dickinson i am yeah i almost i was thinking about the wallpaper and i was like should i say dickinson or not because i didn't know but I said, should i say dickinson or sylvia plath and i'm like i'm going with sylvia plath but i That's love it so funny you know, the reason i have this particular wallpaper is because i watched the first season of dickinson before i wrote for the show and i was like i want that wallpaper um so it's i love i love that you clocked it that's amazing so yeah i'm writing those seasons the, that i wrote on will be out in 2022 on the respective platforms um i have a young adult novel coming out um in 2022 as well um that is great for readers 14 and up i think adults will really enjoy it as well it's a very funny novel tentatively called ferris um but i'm not sure so just, just google my name mm -hmm. um and that's yeah that's what i'm working on um and if people want to soak up some of the craft that you have released um how do they find you where do they get it um, so the easiest way I, I'm on social media, my Twitter handle is our Eric, O-U-R-E-R-I-C. That's also my Instagram. Um, I write a weekly humor newsletter. If you, it comes out on Sundays, if you want a sort of way to end your week or begin your week, depending on how you see a Sunday, um, with, uh, with humor, um, uh, it's a great place to, to do it. You can find that at our Eric Thomas, uh, dot .com, or just going to my website, ericthomas.com. Okay, and there's no periods in the between the R and the Eric. It's just R no, one word. Okay. Just one word. Yeah. All right. And Eric right. with a C. Okay. So I have some rapid fire questions that I like to uh, I like to put my guests through. And okay. Um, so are you ready for this? I am. <laughs> sometimes you'll have a question to answer. Sometimes you'll just need to uh, complete a sentence. Okay. Okay. All right. I see God when. Oh, oh, I, I, the first thought I had was when children laugh. So I'm going to go with that. Oh, I love that. Okay. What does prayer sound like? <laughs> it sounds like a magic trick to me. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> abracadabra. <laughs> yes. What is grace? Uh, grace is uh, forgiveness for yourself, forgiveness for others, forgiveness for the universe. I find joy when... I can recognize and celebrate what other people are proud of or happy about or um, what wish for. My favorite thing is <laughs> cake. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no comment. And last question. Uh, my definition of love is. Oh absolute comfort uh even in the midst of tribulation um or dispute uh, comfort yeah all right eric thank you so so much for joining me on refractive and uh and for sharing your light and your gift with us and um it's just been wonderful for me 
Oh, thank you. It's been wonderful for me. This is such a life-giving conversation. So thank you for having me. All right. Well, everybody, uh, enjoy your day. And uh, don't forget, aim your light. You have been listening to Refractive Podcast, and this is Johnny G. If you've enjoyed today's episode, do me a favor. Give it a share on social media. Or if you're in the podcast app, give it a rating. If you're on YouTube, click like. It really does make a difference in the search results. I am a speaker, coach, and facilitator based in Washington, D.C., but I work in person and remotely with people who are ready to step with clarity into their most authentic life. If I can be of service, reach out to me, Johnny, J-O-H-N-N-Y, at refractivecoaching.com. Have an amazing day. Be good to each other. And always remember, aim your light. <laughs>